Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay. Those of you who want to um, follow along in your, in your Bibles can open in Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> I just want to repeat the question I asked before worship, just in a different way. I, I assume that because you came to church this morning, either you do believe in Jesus and the gospel, or you want to believe in Jesus and the gospel. <laughs> Maybe you're still making up your mind whether to believe or not. Um, or maybe you already do believe, but one thing is certain, um, no matter how we believe, none of us believes as we ought to believe. All of us can believe more in Jesus and the gospel. Isn't that so? Um, and I want to just ask that question again that I asked before worship. <clears throat> if, how would your life be different if you had no doubts about Jesus and the gospel. How would you live differently if you had no doubts about Jesus and the gospel? Really think about that for a moment. How would your priorities change? What would you stop doing? What would you start doing? What would you do differently? How would you do it differently if you really fully believed in Jesus and the gospel? Um, in Matthew 11, verse 2 to 3, and I, and I chose this, this passage because it deals quite extensively with children. Today's World Foster Day. We had baby dedication, so I thought it was very appropriate. Uh, and... Um, but also the question and the issue that this text raises is very relevant to us. In Matthew, in Matthew um, 11, verse 2 to 3, it says, we want to, uh, we want to ask this question. Sorry, where is it? There we go. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, the Messiah, in other words, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And what we see here is John the Baptist, the one who introduced Jesus and baptized him, introduced him to public ministry. And John the Baptist has certain doubts about Jesus. And he asks a question which is a very relevant modern question. Jesus, are you the one, or can there be another? And many people ask that question in many different ways. You know, uh, is, can, is Jesus really the only way to God? You know, or, or are there other ways of, of salvation? Are there other ways to get to God, to, to, to be saved or to have relationship with God? So it's a very relevant question. And um, if even John the Baptist, who Jesus says there is no greater man born of a woman than John the Baptist. I mean, he, he was, he was the, the greatest of the old covenant prophets. If even John the Baptist had doubts, 
then we need to know how to deal with doubts. Because I, th- I think to some extent all of us sometimes struggle with, uh, with doubt. So let me, let me read for us from, um, from Matthew 11, verse 16 to 25. So it says in verse 16, But to what shall I compare this generation? This is Jesus speaking. All of, all of this is Jesus speaking. To what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in, a mar- in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you didn't, did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Literally, it says there, wisdom is justified by her children. And he goes on in verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. In other words, they did not believe and therefore they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, you would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, um, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. And we see just three things I want to discuss here. Sometimes we struggle to deal with doubt because we don't really understand doubt. We think we do, but we don't. We think we doubt when we have a lack of evidence. But what this passage is showing us is that the main reason we doubt is not because of a lack of evidence. There's something else. So um, I just want to uh, chat a bit about um, the power of doubt, the bias of doubt, and the solution to doubt. So the, the, the section where Jesus denounces um, these cities, um, that section shows us that there's more to doubt than just a lack of evidence. There's something a bit more sinister going on here. So... Jesus did many miracles. It even says so in this passage. It says, if the miracles done in you, in, in these cities, had been done in Sodom and Tyre and Sidon, which were all Gentile places, they would have repented. They would have, they would have turned. They would have believed. And Jesus, even many miracles are recorded in the Gospels that are performed, that Jesus performs in these towns and cities. And if you think about the end of John's gospel, John says many more things were done. If, if everything that Jesus did, if all the miracles and all the signs that he did were recorded, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain all of it. So what we have here is a situation where um, Jesus comes to, to towns. He doesn't just say to them, just believe in me. 
He gives them evidence. He ministers to them. He preaches to them. And he does miracles in them. Many miracles. And still they don't believe. Still they doubt. Why? What does that show us about doubt? It shows us that doubt is not just the absence of faith, but is the presence of an alternative faith and, and the presence of an opposing power. There's a power in our hearts that opposes faith uh, in Jesus and the, and the gospel. Now, let me just say this. I, I believe that skeptics have the right to ask questions. Absolutely. I believe that, um, you know, people who are deciding whether they want to believe the gospel or not have the right to ask questions and to receive good answers to them and to weigh the evidence. Absolutely, I believe that. I mean, the fact that Jesus did miracles and preached in these cities shows that he also believed that. He also believed that people shouldn't just believe because he says so, but he gave them evidence. So Jesus seems to believe it's, it's quite reasonable to present evidence for who he is and, and what the gospel is. Um, but Jesus presented overwhelming evidence and still they refused to believe. Why? Because doubt is not just caused because of a lack of evidence. Doubt actually prevails against the evidence. Doubt actually overcomes the evidence. Doubt actually overpowers the evidence. Can you see that? Can you see that there's something behind doubt that is irrational and that is powerful and that causes people to ignore the evidence, overcome the evidence, and to continue to doubt. You know, it's continue to believe against Jesus and the gospel. I think that's important for us to see that. I think it's extremely important for us to see, see that. So, so doubt is the presence of a power opposing Jesus and the, and the, and the gospel. And it's, it's not just a problem for skeptics. Right? It's a problem for believers too. Okay, I mean, I already mentioned John the Baptist, who was, you know, Jesus' biggest fan in the beginning, and he has doubts. But, I mean, the apostles had the same. I mean, just look at this. Um, in Acts 1 verse 3, it says, he, he presented, he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them, the apostles, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay? So, what we have here is, and, and, and Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, uh, and, and to some extent John's gospel, particularly um, record these resurrection appearances. Notice that they happened over 40 days. It wasn't just a once-off thing. It wasn't just a quick flash like a you know, UFO that you see, maybe something there in the sky, or, you know, and it, it wasn't far off. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I was... There was a blizzard, you know, when we were walking on the mountain and I saw this shadowy figure and I know it was a Bigfoot. It was a Sasquatch. But I saw it, you know, how far was it? No, it was like maybe 100 meters. Our visibility wasn't that great, <laughs> you know. This was close up and personal. Jesus says, come, put your hand in, finger in my, in my hand, here in the, in the hole where the, where, where the nail went through. You know, put your hand in my side where the, where the, where the um, soldier stuck the spear in to, to make sure that I'm dead. Put your hand in there. 
talked, uh, he, he spoke to them. Over 40 days, he appeared to them. He said, listen, I'm not a ghost, because initially that's what they thought. They were like, oh, you know, it's a ghost. He said, no, give, give me a piece of fish or give me something to eat. He took a piece of fish and he ate it. He says, you know, ghosts can't do this. I, it's, it's me, you know. Touch, feel, it's me. <laughs> and with many infallible proofs, over 40 days, he showed them that he was alive. And then we read this in Matthew 28, verse 16 to 17. Now the eleven, these are the apostles, uh, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. But some doubted. After 40 days of close and personal encounters with Jesus, some doubted. I mean, that's not rational. I mean, some people say, let me just put it this way. Some people say the Gospels were made up. You know, the, the, the apostles made up the Gospel accounts. They wanted to invent a religion. Okay. Now, tell me this. Obviously, the resurrection is necessary for Christianity to be true. But if you're going to invent resurrection accounts... And you're going to say that Jesus appeared over 40 days up close and personal with the apostles. If you were inventing those, if you were making up those accounts, would you include this? That after 40 days, some of them still doubted. Would you really include this? No, of course you wouldn't. Because you would think that after 40 days of such appearances, your doubts would be dealt with and their doubts would be dealt with. It's, it's irrational to still doubt after that. And yet, they did. The only way this could have been recorded is if it actually happened. Right? It must be true. They must have really doubted. But that again shows us that there's a part of doubt that is irrational. That there's a power inside of our hearts that drives us to doubt against the evidence. So, we flatter ourselves that we doubt because of a lack of evidence. But they had overwhelming evidence and still doubted. So, it can't be a lack of evidence. That cannot be the main reason why we doubt. And unless we recognize this positive power in our hearts that resists belief, we will never understand and be able to deal uh, with our doubts. Um, so, Lack of evidence is not the only problem. Sometimes it is a problem. I'm not saying that lack of evidence is never a problem. Okay? Sometimes lack of evidence is a problem. You can have arrived here this morning and never heard uh, uh, a reasonable, rational, uh, compelling defense of the Bible and of the gospel. That's quite possible. But what I'm saying is if you do, if you are presented with the evidence your heart will betray you and still want to believe what you already believe despite the evidence. Okay, so then, you know, how does this work? How does, how does this power work? Um, what kept these towns from believing? What kept them in their doubt? And, and uh, Matthew 11, verse 16 to 19 um, tells us that. Um, it says... 
But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her children. Um, what, what we see here is... Um, Jesus uses, <laughs> it's actually a bit insulting um, to us, because Jesus says that we are like willful children. Spiritually speaking, we're like willful children. We're like children that are just difficult, that are just throwing a tantrum. No, if I cannot have it my way, then I won't have it anyway. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, what Jesus is saying is, we tend to be like that as human beings. So Jesus uses children to Present, represent the problem, but also uh, to represent the solution later on. So here he's talking about childishness. You know, it's being like a child in, a, in the bad sense. Later on, he's, he talks about childlikeness, being like a child in, 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 the, in the right sense of the word, in, uh, uh, in a good way. So children tend to play what they see adults do. Okay? When they see adults, you know, like the babies we dedicated now. So when, when, when older children see adult mummies taking care, nursing their babies, dressing them, you know, talking to them and so on, then they want a doll and they want to do the same, you know, to their children. You know, they want to play mummy, you know. Or uh, when, when boys see um, adults, you know, fighting with swords, then they want to fight with swords. Or when they see, so whatever adults do, when they see adults working, my, my son, Ethan, he just wants to work. He wants, he wants tools, he wants power tools, and he wants to work with them. And, and I'm not sure where he gets that, because I don't work with power tools that much. I'm, my brother, Harry, is the, is the practical one in the, in the house, and he, he hogged all the practical genes. And I got, I got almost zero. <laughs> so... <laughs> Ethan got them, so, so he, and he doesn't want just toy tools, he wants proper, real tools, you know, he wants a real hammer and a real drill, and, and these children are doing the same, so the big events, if you look, think about a little village, the big events in any little village, in fact, the only events where there were, like, big happenings, and where usually an animal was slaughtered and they ate meat, because they didn't do that that often, you couldn't just go to the spa or to the checkers or pick and pay and and buy some some meat easily um it, it was a big thing and it was quite expensive so we, uh, weddings and funerals were the big events and that's one of the only times when when animals were slaughtered and people actually ate meat so it was a big thing so here you have a situation jesus says and he says this generation is like these children so they're in the marketplace because the parents are doing business there and they you know, play around, and, they, and, and the, they, they sort of get bored, and they say, okay, let's pray, and one, one of them says, let's pray, play wedding, wedding, and, and he pulls out a flute, and he starts playing a happy tune, and, and the other kids, the playmates say, no, no, that's a stupid game, we don't want to play your game, it's a stupid game, it's too happy, we don't feel happy, we don't want to play wedding, wedding, and dance, and, you know, and he says, oh, okay, fine, Let's pray funeral, funeral thing. And he starts to sing a dirge. And, and, and the idea is that they then mourn. But no, 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 we don't want to play funeral, funeral. It's a stupid game. <laughs> it's too sad. <laughs> and you start to see that the reasons they're giving, it's too happy, it's too sad. 
We don't want to dance. We don't want to mourn. Those aren't the actual reasons. And what Jesus is saying is, no matter how I present the evidence, your heart, because of the power that resists belief, your heart will tend to want to dismiss the evidence and say, no, I don't accept that evidence. I don't want to accept that evidence. Can you see that? Now, <clears throat> we, we can say, okay, but that isn't so, but that would be a bit naive because we know it's so. We know we tend to believe what we want to believe, even contrary to the evidence. So why? Because there's a, it's not the reasons they're giving, these children are giving why they don't want to play the games. There's a reason underneath the reason. So what, what is that? They won't accept the evidence, no matter how it is presented. So why? Why? Firstly, because we want to believe what we already believe. As human beings... We want to believe that what we already believe is true and right. And we interpret the evidence in line with what we already believe is true. We try and make the evidence fit. And if the evidence doesn't fit with what we already believe, then we try and sweep it under the rug and ignore it. Okay? And if you've ever tried to convince someone of something they don't already believe, you know, whether it's a spiritual matter or whether it's just a, a natural matter. You, you'll know that's true. You'll know that's true. And the other reason is because if we accept the evidence of the Bible, the evidence about Jesus and the gospel, we lose control. We lose control of our lives. Now, let me just make this clear. Um, you know, if you read about, say, Caesar and the Gallic Wars, you know, which is another ancient text, you can read that much more impartially and neutrally because whether it's true or not will not affect your life. If Caesar and the Gallic Wars and what he says in that document really happened, and if it's absolutely true and accurate then you know something about what happened in the past, but it doesn't affect your present. But if what is written in the Gospels about Jesus is true, then it means your life needs to change. He needs to take control of your life, and you need to lose control of your life. He needs to increase, and you need to decrease. You need to, because, I mean, it says he's the Messiah, which means the anointed king. The king to whom obedience and worship is due. That necessitates a radical change in your life. And therefore, none of us can read the Gospels neutrally and impartially. Because it, we have a vested interest in it, whether it's true or not. And the reality is we want to maintain control of our lives. We don't want to lose control. We don't want to surrender control to Jesus. So, when you come to Jesus, He will give you evidence. But the nature of doubt is that 
you'll convince yourself that there is this or that wrong with Christianity, but you're only looking for reasons not to believe. <clears throat> none, of, none of us are neutral. We interpret the data in line with what we already believe is true. There's an old story, and, and I've still told this story before. Um, it's, a, it's a very, I, I like this illustration. It's, it's, it's the dead man walking illustration. Have you, have you ever heard of it? Some of you definitely have. Um, you know, th- th- there's this friend of yours who believes he's dead. And you're very concerned for his mental health. Okay? But he, he's, he's fully convinced that he's dead. So you go to him and you try and convince him that he's not dead, but he, he won't listen. He's, he's really, he's fully convinced that he's dead. So eventually you come up with an idea and you take the three most authoritative medical texts in the world, which everyone recognizes they the top medical text, the, the most authoritative medical text. You take them to him and, and you show him all three of these texts agree on the fact that dead people cannot bleed. And you even show him the reason why dead people cannot bleed. Because dead people's hearts aren't beating, so there's no blood pressure. So therefore, they cannot bleed. Okay, and he says, okay, fine, I, I see that. There's unanimous agreement that dead people cannot bleed. And he says, okay, give me your hand. He gives his hand, you take a knife and you cut him, and he starts to bleed. And his eyes go wide like saucers. And, and, and you say to him, can you see that? And he says, yes. And, and you say to him, do you, do you know what it means? And he says, yes. What does it mean? It, it, it means the, the medical fraternity is wrong. Dead people can bleed. <laughs> can, can you see what's happening here? We all tend to interpret the data in line with what we already believe. And, here's the thing, we tend to make ourselves our own highest authority. We trust ourselves more than we trust others and more than we trust God. That is the bias, the extreme bias that we all come to the Gospels with. So, we're all biased towards ourselves, what we already believe, what we want to believe, and towards trusting ourselves and our own judgment above all. So what is the solution to this? If doubt is driven by a power and a bias, what is the solution? The first solution is God needs to get involved. God needs to get involved. Jesus says in... in um, Verse 25, let me just read that. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. You see, God, there's something, because there's a supernatural resistance to faith in our hearts, there has to be a supernatural power to overcome that resistance. And God has to basically reveal to our hearts the truth of the gospel. And God has to make us like little children again. You see, the difference in, on the positive side, we spoke about the, the childishness on the negative side, but now Jesus comes to the, the childlikeness on the positive side. You see, little children don't trust themselves more than they trust other people. Little children don't ch- trust their own, at least when they're little. When they become bigger, they start telling you, no, it's not like that. (laughs) 
But usually it's at the beginning especially it's because, no, my teacher said. But then they trust their teacher's judgment more than their parents. <laughs> but little children don't start off trusting their own judgment more than other people's judgment. There's a humility, a childlike humility with little children that enables them to learn. If you don't have this childlike humility, you can't learn anything. You cannot change anything that you believe because you're constantly going to reinforce what you already believe by interpreting the evidence in line with it. So you, you won't be able to correct the wrong things that you believe. Remember that we don't only move to understanding from a position of lack of understanding. We also sometimes move to a position of understanding from misunderstanding. But the problem is misunderstanding is more difficult to discern because to the one who misunderstands, their misunderstanding is understanding. When you misunderstand something, you think you understand it. But we need that childlike humility. And, and that's why this, the born-again event is so powerful. Because it turns us, as people who can understand, into little children who can humble themselves and learn from that position of childlike humility. Um, and God can reveal it to our hearts. Then secondly, we need to understand just the, the truth of, of the gospel, which Jesus represents here through the, 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 the funeral and the wedding. I think I put up a, a little uh, picture there of a funeral and a wedding, if you can just bring them up. Um, the, the, the two games that the children play, the funeral game and the wedding game, uh, and, and the gospel also has those two sides. At the funeral, you mourn. At the wedding, you dance. The funeral is sad. The wedding is happy. And the gospel is like that. A summary of the gospel uh, that I like from Tim Keller is that we are more wicked and sinful than we ever dared imagine, yet more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. Th those are the funeral and the wedding aspects. The the mourning and the dancing aspects of, of the gospel. And that is the only thing that can make you... In other words, let me put it this way. Christianity is more pessimistic about the human condition than any other religion, and yet more optimistic about the human possibility than any other religion. And if, if you do not accept both, if you do not accept both the mourning and the dancing presented in the gospel, you will not make sense of reality. If you say, oh, you know, because that, that's what, I mean, John the Baptist here, he says John the Baptist came, you know, neither eating nor drinking. In other words, he came as a, an ascetic. You know, he, 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 he lived, you know, in the desert, you know, like, almost like a monk, you know, by himself. And he ate grasshoppers and wild honey. And, you know, he didn't indulge in anything. And, and you say, oh, that's too severe. It's too austere, you know, representing the hard aspect of the gospel that we're more sinful and wicked than we ever dared imagine. Oh, you know, that's too hard. But then when you, when you give, that's the, that's the mourning side. But then when you give the dancing side, which yeah, Jesus represents, Jesus came both eating and drinking, and you said, look, uh, a glutton and a, and a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then when you say but salvation is by grace and that you cannot be saved through anything that you do, but through something that Jesus did for you, and that you need to just repent and believe the gospel, and you'll be saved. I say, whoa, whoa, hang on. You're saying that a murderer at the end of his life can just repent and then go to heaven? 
No, that's too easy. Well, is it too difficult or is it too easy? You see, it's only in the gospel that those two, the dancing, the mourning and the dancing, the wedding and the funeral, can be held together. Unless you experience the funeral of our death with Christ, we cannot experience the wedding and the resurrection with Christ. Death must precede resurrection. And, and, and if, if, I mean, if, if you don't accept the, the bad news of the gospel, if I can put it that way, you, you won't make sense of society. Why, why, why are things so bad? Why, why is there so much hurt, so much corruption, so much strife, so much evil in the world? Well, the gospel explains to us. But if you don't accept the good side, the good news of the gospel, you can't account for our aspirations. I just got this um, nice quote from one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. Listen to what he says. He says, A man's physical hunger does not prove that man will get any bread. He may die of starvation on a raft in the Atlantic, but surely a man's hunger does prove that he comes from a race which repairs its body by eating and inhabits a world where eatable substances exist. In the same way, though I do not believe, I wish I did, that my desire for paradise proves that I shall enjoy it, I think it a pretty good indication that such a thing exists and that some men will. Can you see what Lewis is saying? He's saying that our desires and our aspirations do not prove that they will be fulfilled here and now, but they prove that there is something to fulfill. Just like hunger shows that there is something like food that can Satisfy that hunger. Thirst proves that there's something like water that can quench that thirst. So our aspirations and our desires, because we have a desire to live forever. We have a desire to live in a world where everything is made right. Well, then such a thing must exist. The Christian says creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to um, be unthankful for these earthly earthly blessings, and on the the other hand, never to mistake them for the something else uh, of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. So we must accept the bad news and the good news. The bad news that we are so sinful that Jesus had to die for us, but the good news that we are so loved that he was glad to die for us. 
And then just in closing, and maybe you can stand while I'm sharing this. Just consider your own biases. Be aware of your biases when dealing with your doubts. Be aware that there's a self-centered bias that we all share and tend towards. So if you're, a, if, if you're a skeptic, I would say be aware of that bias and look at the evidence being mindful of your bias against it, against the evidence. Be open to be convinced by the evidence. To believers, I'd say we know that we do not believe yet as we ought to. Right? I mean, it shows in our behavior. If our beliefs determine our behavior, it shows in our behavior. How, how, would, how would we forgive differently if we truly believe that we are forgiven? How would we um, turn the other cheek more often if we believe that God is a God of justice, that we don't have to impose justice, but that He will, 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 will do justice? How much more generously will we give if we believe that God really takes care of us? When it says, you know, he takes care of the lilies of the fields and, and he clothes them and, and, and he takes care of the birds of the air. How much more will he take care of you or you of little faith? It's, it's because we doubt that he really will take care of us that we are often less generous than we ought to be. Isn't that so? It's because we doubt God. Um, how would we... How would we live differently if we truly believed that all the treasures we gather on earth will be taken away and only the treasures we gather in heaven will remain for eternity? How would, how would we invest differently? How would we prioritize things differently? How would we live differently if we believe, truly believe, without doubting, that we will exist forever, for all of eternity? How would we treat the people around us differently if we truly believe that they would exist forever. We need to deal with our doubts. It'll change our lives. So, if you're here this morning, I just want you to close your eyes. Just if, if you're here this morning and, and you have never taken that step of faith, and maybe this morning you realize that to some extent my doubts have been irrational and I've been resisting faith and actually using my doubt to overwhelm the evidence and if this, this morning you want to respond and say Lord I, I realize Jesus that you are true and that the gospel is true and that, that it's the only way that I can be saved and if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is, is working in your heart in that way, I just want you to, to raise your hand because I'd like to pray with you. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to respond. I need to let go of my doubts. And I need to come to Jesus. Thank you for those hands. Is there anyone else who says I need to respond? 
quite a few people put up their hands. If you put up your hand, I just want you to take your, your handbag or your Bible or whatever you have with you and just come forward because I'd like to pray with you. Just, just step right, right up forward. Quite a few of you put up your hands. Just step up right up forward and <clears throat> come stand here in the front. I'd like to pray with you and for you. Let's just all pray for them and with them as, as, they, as they take this powerful and sacred step of faith towards Jesus. just want you to, just in your own words, just, just confess your sin to the Lord. Just say, Lord, I know that I've sinned against you. I failed to believe in you despite the evidence. Please forgive me, Jesus. And then just confess your, your trust in Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you experienced the funeral so I can experience the wedding. I believe you experienced the mourning so I can experience the dancing. I believe in you. I trust in you. I trust you more than I trust myself. I choose to trust you more than I trust myself. I cannot save myself. Only you can save me. Okay, I'm going to pray now, and I want us all to just just pray after me. Just pray, uh, pray along. Say, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you died for me. That you died in my place. And even as you gave your life for me, I give my life to you. Please receive me, Jesus. I choose to follow you. To be your disciple. I put my trust in you. Please save me, Lord. Please forgive my sins. Please cleanse me with your blood. Lord Holy Spirit, I surrender myself to you. Please fill me, Lord. Please cleanse me from the inside out. And please help me, Lord follow Jesus and to bear fruit and to become more like Christ every day. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that I'm adopted into your family. Thank you that I now belong to you. Thank you that I'm now your child. I just honor you and praise you for your grace. Have your way in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.